Hello, my name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypno Birthing Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since I have released an episode and as I said in my previous episode that is because we have been in the middle of the school holidays here in the UK. Uh, So I've just been a little bit uh, time poor but the kids are finally back at school and preschool so it means that my usual scheduled programming can commence again. So I'm going to be releasing every other week again which is what I've done for the majority of this podcast's life. I had a, a swift moment of releasing every week when I had lots and lots of uh, content, but we're going to go back to every other week to make sure that we can keep it consistent. Today's episode is a chat with Kemi Johnson, and Kemi Johnson is a birth keeper, she's a doula, she's a hypnobirthing teacher, she's an independent midwife, and she is somebody who is extremely vocal about the maternity system here in the UK and how it really has quite a lot of shortfallings and she needs to talk about these things we all do they need to be said people need to be made aware of them so that when they go into the maternity system they are prepared for kind of what they're up against really so we talk about that and we also talk about physiological birth and what that means what it actually is we hear the term a lot i talk about it you may have seen it written on uh, you know social media and things like that but what actually is it what is physiological birth what do we mean when we say that how can we best assist a physiological birth what should we be doing what shouldn't we be doing why are so many people struggling to achieve a physiological birth so we talk about that as well what i do want to say is that kemi is very honest and she says it herself she's honest she's harsh at times but what she's saying is true and it needs to be talked about so i just wanted to kind of let anybody know that you know this episode is quite hard hitting in that we talk about some things that perhaps aren't always the nicest to talk about. Uh, So just to prepare you for that, but what I would say is please listen. It's really, really important to know what is going on within the system that we find ourselves in, because we're all trying to, you know, have the best experience possible, But we can only do so much if we don't know what's going on, we don't know what's happening, then it's really hard to do that. So it's really important that you listen and don't shy away from some of these kind of more difficult conversations because they need to happen, they are happening. And it's by having these conversations that we actually can make some changes. So please listen, but please just know that it is a harsher hitting episode than my normal episodes. So without further ado, I will play the episode now. So hello everybody and hello to Kemi. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's a real pleasure and a delight. And we're talking about my favourite thing. Always, (laughs) it needs to be talked about. (laughs) So if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners what it is you do, what you're passionate about. Yeah. Okay. So I call myself a birth keeper now. Um, like I've even called myself keeper of the birth gate. Like, <laughs> I like that. Um, it, it sounds quite pompous, but includes quite a few things. And um, yeah, I've just been willing to accept 
um, the importance of what I do. So um, I spent I spent a lot of time in the birth room as a doula, which feels like a whole different world now. Um, and then in my thirties, I knew I needed to I knew I needed to protect birth spaces from about the age of fifteen. Um, and then it came to me, you know, my mother's birth story and everything it was all, it was, it all was meant to be and, um, and my own birth journey. And there was a lot of pain and neglect in it and things like that. Not for my, my mother was neglected in her pregnancy, childbirth, postnatal, you know, and it impacted her whole life. So, um, I started by being a doula for uh, quite some time um, whilst I was my day job was accountancy and then in the evening I'd sneak off and assist um, at birth I know it's like totally different world very different <laughs> yeah because I mean with with accountancy no one no one dies sorry to put it like that but yeah. you know yeah pretty what's safe. the worst that can happen you know yeah um, I don't know, the, the books don't balance or whatever, or the spreadsheet is corrupt. But, you know, that's the worst that can happen whilst of childbirth. So even though I knew I wanted to be in um, the arena of assisting people with childbirth, I resisted it because it was a huge calling. It's a huge responsibility, a parent and their baby. So I ran into accountancy, nice and safe there. But the calling kept coming. So I I went into doulaing and then I noticed that there was sometimes there was a bad call or somebody suffered I mean that was back like you know 25 years ago and that is so much worse now like right anyone being a doula now like uh, they've yeah they've got the ovaries to do it seriously that it's it's very hard now how like, shocking the, that's actually quite surprising that it's so much worse now um I think they I think maternity services are running with the apparent power um that they seem to have and so yeah it's just you know and especially observing the behavior of maternity services in the last you know coming up to two years it's just like shocking and revolting so you know the tenuous hold we had on human rights in maternity care vanished and you know what's worse i've started already what's worse is that whilst other areas of care have are trying to normalize maternity care are flying with that nope you can't have anyone with you nope you can't have your partner nope your partner can come oh your partner's been here your baby's an hour old now no your partner's got to go it, it's disgusting it's revolting considering that maternity care isn't about pathology it's just a normal thing that happens they're privileged and lucky that people pick their bumps up and take themselves into a hospital yeah. you know 98 percent of the uk still go to a hospital for childbirth yeah a handful of those might end up in the birth center why why is it like that why is is it because it's such a yeah it, people are scared like is that why in the yeah. maternity sector they they're they're scared to go against what it says on well, their piece of paper because it's people's babies. Is that um, why it's like that? It's people's babies, but it is people's babies. So if somebody, if somebody chooses to give birth at home in their back gardens in a yurt, wonderful, blissful from my point of view. If, if we're recognising that it's their babies why then are we referring them to children's services why 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 are people why are people having the police called on them you know why are 
um, people having court orders against their choices. So it's not just about a concern for people's babies, it's about control. Yeah. It's not about fear for people's babies because what happens to people and their babies in maternity services a lot of the time is quite horrific, okay? But they survive, so everyone thinks it's all okay. Oh, well, yeah. they're alive at the end. We've set the bar really low now, and, and nobody gets arrested. No one gets prosecuted for what happens, mm. the coercion, criminal activity, the the um, the assault when uh, consent isn't sought, etc. Going into that. so So we know, yeah. we, we absolutely know it's not about it's not primarily about the well-being of the woman and the baby because when when oh, the woman or birthing person when that parent leaves obstetrics with suicidal tendencies or a perineum that won't heal or a sex life that's non-existent or a marriage that's broken or a job that can't be returned to nobody cares because they're out they're throwing out obstetrics we only care about are you alive when you left the building? Okay, that's fine. The bar's too low. So when I noticed that as a doula, and that was, you know, in my 20s and early 30s, I, I realised, no, I have to be a midwife. In tears, I accepted the calling because I knew it was not going to be an easy ride. Then I found out that being a midwife, being with woman, meant that you were an activist. You know, I'd been groomed to be compliant. I mean, I struggled being compliant but i've been groomed that way as have you as have all of us that went through the school system so um we were groomed to be compliant so immediately i had to start pushing back because my calling was was strong um so that's when you know it became a bit of a loud mouth obviously you can't really survive very long <laughs> in the national health service <laughs> so so um fortunately um I, I i don't like being pushed i prefer to jump so i took myself out um and the same way i took myself off the nursing and midwifery council register i took myself off of there um but you know people that are activists people that are loud mouths and rebels are not appreciated just sit down shut up you know women just lie down open your knees um you know that this is it's just violence it's just misogyny and so now i mean the most wonderful position of having spent many years in the birth room watching physiological birth unfold so i'm i'm now like my mouth's even louder because i'm saying no they can do it the reason why a lot of women appear to not be able to give birth is because you're sabotaging it it's it's your environment it's what you've said to her for 10 months you know that's undermined it you know instead of talking to her about the way she's sitting the way she's lying you know uh, uh, what she's actually what she can eat but um you know it's like telling her oh don't eat shellfish you know all oh, pasteurized cheese no and then filling her with all the drugs that haven't had long-term tests on them and the effects of the baby you know, and the effect of their babies babies you know nobody cares about that you know so, so yeah oh don't drink a coffee but we're going to give you heroin when you're having a child the double standards is clearly not about the health of parents and babies so that's what drives me as a birth keeper so i spend a lot of time now birth keeping virtually because i'm traveling 
Um, I'll be in Mexico for a while because they've got the very good, they've maintained traditional midwifery over there. So I want to know what they know. You know, I might know half of it or whatever, but for sure they have got a way of ensuring that birth unfolds well in home-like settings that I might need to know it it happens for me a lot my transfer rate is low it's, it's, i'm not outstanding it's like all independent midwives have a very low transfer rate that's why they can keep getting booked most of us are booked by word of mouth if you book an independent midwife for a home birth and you know 50 percent of our the people we book end up in hospital we're not going to get very far as independent midwives so um so we are skilled independent I, you know all of us but um, I, I just want to find out what, what the traditional midwives in Mexico are up to. <laughs> so I've had a lot of offers, you know. So That's amazing. I didn't know that about Mexico. How incredible. Okay, so when we hear the term physiological birth, what do we mean? So I talk about it on the podcast. I talk about it to, when I'm teaching people. I talk about it on my Instagram. There's lots of people. But what does it actually mean? What it actually means is natural birth. So we, we we used to be able to say normal birth in inverted commas, but normal birth offends some people. Like um, every time I heard that term, I flinched because I accepted unnecessary induction, which naturally cascaded to a cesarean because I was a first time mother. So any time anyone said normal birth, I flinched like, you know, what's wrong with me then? Am I abnormal kind of thing? Natural birth is just birth the way you were designed. We've got a hole at the bottom of our torsos. We've got an immune system that wants to cough out our babies when they send a signal to say that they're ready. It's just happened for thousands and thousands of years. So um, natural birth is what physiological birth is. So we the term physiological because sometimes people um there's connotations to the word natural i don't care i will always use it but um you know physiological birth people are more interested in what that is and it's kind of a sciencey term and explains what it is your physiology um works to um create the baby grow the baby and expel the baby it takes two cells and makes a whole human with eyelashes and and toenails and everything else is just miraculous and and I think people underestimate or, or people forget largely because we don't understand the process we don't know the process so because of that I don't know I mean we I don't know how blinking works but we're both doing it we have faith it's going to happen don't we <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I guess because we're blinking and pooing and sneezing and vomiting from the time we're here we have faith in that i guess we do it whilst, yeah we do it a lot so yeah we do it a lot whilst giving birth can be easily the faith in that can be easily infiltrated by people who don't wish us well yeah. and so and you can't if you if you're prepared to say to somebody baby's a bit big don't know if you'll get it out you know, if you're prepared to say that to somebody who basically the baby is already inside of them and it has to get out, yeah. If, if you're prepared to undermine someone like that, you're not wishing them well. No. Especially when you know that 14 pound babies leave 
women's vaginas why would you tell them that an eight pound 13 ounce baby can't without breaking its shoulder or any of the stuff that they say i know i know you know you and i are both hypnobirthing yeah. teachers the the mouth know. you know just like so it's terrible. but as well if you if you think about anything else we do physiologically like even if if it, even if it is just pooing so something we do often obviously yeah. but if you heard all yeah. these like horror <laughs> hopefully, hopefully if you heard all these horror stories from people yeah. every single day and put things yeah. on tv about it you probably everyone would then be scared because that's just what happens yeah. right it just becomes so so acceptable right. when it comes to childbirth to to scare people for no reason yeah Mm-hmm. They do. They they, they do uh, scaring people for no reason, and it is no reason because we know what's possible. And any of us that really understand physiological birth understand that if a woman or birthing person is unable to to expel their baby, it's more than likely. You know, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you look at the person who's on their back with their legs mm-hmm. in the air? Why would you look at that and say, mm, that might be the reason why she needs help if we get her out of that yeah. position? You see, that's like that's like childbirth yeah. 101. So if you've got a registration and you're getting paid to show up and it doesn't occur to you that you've just facilitated a position that's going to make it worse, then I don't think you deserve to keep your job. No, that's a good point. It is. Okay, so what can we do? So for the women listening to this for the birthing people listening to this people that are pregnant and you know looking towards their labor how can they best facilitate a physiological birth what can they do what are the main things they can be doing really good question and I'm sure you may have answered it in other podcasts for you (laughs) which is brilliant my take on it is um I, I what I've seen like when I've looked after people that just choose a home birth not because they've been exempted from it by the NHS, but genuinely, you know, first time birthers who want a home birth, uh, like many of them, quite a high proportion of them, it will be because they were they raised on a farm or they had domestic pets that gave birth to puppies, kittens, etc., or they were home born or they witnessed home birth of their siblings or something. It'll be usually that, and then they'll say, yeah, I'll choose a home birth, like, no question. When 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 I come across people like that, I, I think, yeah, actually the work needs to start before you conceive. Somehow, some, something has to happen of your mindset. Like us as teachers, when we teach parents, they're, they're already pregnant. But I remember when I was hosting a lot of group parents' classes, what crept into my advertising is come along preconception. Come along if you're a grandparent. Because I realised that, you know, even you could have parents that receive the information that we give but if they've got a grandparent that's absolutely terrified you know their parents are terrified they can still scupper the plans in the birth and i just felt like yeah preconception if we could work with your mindset then because that's what hypnobirthing does if you can work with your mindset then you go into the pregnancy making different choices so you don't then have to undo all of the fear-mongering that happens at the booking appointment, for instance, you've got like an hour with a midwife going, 43, oh, 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 
Okay, we'll have to refer you to the consultant for that, you know. Oh, you're a bit chubby. We're going to have to refer you to the consultant for that. But that, that's like the first appointment, right? So if we could work with people before birth, before they're even conceived, rather, then I think that would go a great way. I think not speaking to someone who's going to dismantle you at every appointment goes a long way. So, like, I, I offer virtual midwifery. And for some people, I say, look, if you could possibly get by with just me, even though it's virtual, I'll show you how to dip your own wee. I'll show you how to, you know, take your own blood pressure, etc. If I try and do that so that they can avoid having the, or don't know, you're black, so you might need inducing at 39 weeks kind of rubbish, right? So, so I actually do that now. Um, or if people really are too nervous to have just virtual midwifery and go and see the midwife, I, I say, okay, but use me as an antidote. So when you've come away from that appointment and they've told you, you know, I don't know what, what other things they say, oh, you know, your baby's so ginormous, it's not going to get out. I can then, you know, flood you with the information about how your bones open, your pelvis moves, the relaxing to relax all your connective tissue, how the baby's head moulds. Then that session following, I will be able to, I'll be the antidote <laughs> for the poison. Wouldn't it be so helpful if they 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 did that <laughs> rather than rather yeah. than just say the negative things? You know, talk to people about well, you know, your yeah. the baby you know is predicted to be bigger, but don't worry, like this is what happens. This is how your body can do that. And why? How long does it take to say that? Like, why can't it, that be how long did it take me? Like thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I hear so many people. So many people come to me who are clients or listeners and say that they've been told their baby's big. Like, obviously, you hear it as well all the time. And yeah, it's and then they're just panicked by being told that their baby's big, and it's then going to change all of their the choices they're making because they're then terrified and it's just the same story every time it's such a shame it is the same story and the story you know the story ends with instruments you know occasionally it might end with oh and then a baby popped out but you know I was sharing evidence a few weeks ago about the fact that by them just saying big baby big baby um, more people choose cesareans, more births. End up. Yeah, I think I shared that. That was really interesting. Isn't it interesting? They actually yeah, did the, really, yeah. the stats for that. And uh, no, it was that amazing um, Rebecca Decker um, for yeah. evidence-based birth. That's right, I shared her stuff. Um, so, so when you've got that happening, what you've done then is you've affected the health of the birthing parent the baby and ongoing descendants because you know you've then got the baby that came out with you know a third of their blood missing from you know surgical birth so 50 percent of their microbiome missing or well 100 percent, but 50 percent can be restored you've got all of those knock-ons the asthmatic child you know the, the 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 adult with eczema it goes on and on and they then tell that experience for them is most likely pretty negative so they then tell you know their friends they then tell their own children that it's a horrible experience and it does just 
there's another bad negative birth story out there, isn't there then? And, yeah. you know, it gets told. And I think I, I often think that if I hear a negative birth story and it's usually from not from people I've taught which is great it's usually from kind of a friend of a friend that might tell me a story and I just think oh it's another one like it's another that thinks badly of birth and it doesn't have to be that way and it's just such a shame so the reason I'm asking this question is because I teach so are you you know like you as well teach people all across the world which is amazing yeah but obviously in some countries and and some places it's, it's more difficult to be at home very much yeah it's bad in some countries exactly it is so can you facilitate a physiological birth in a hospital so like just based on what you've just said as well like like you can how can you do it in a hospital how can you make sure that you can be as natural as possible even in that environment well the environment most most delivery suites look like laboratories (laughs) don't they yes and um and you know some of them don't have curtains or blinds in the window um or ones that work um they never have locks on the doors so you'll never get that sense of privacy you'll always have people bursting into your room that's like expecting you to no i won't make it personal expecting (laughs) me to have a great sex session you know the bedroom next to my mother-in-law's no lock on the door you know there's never gonna have blinds on the windows Yeah, no blinds on the window or anything. It's just never going to happen. So I don't know why we would expect women to expel a whole human under those conditions. So, you know, how could we kind of facilitate it? Locks on the doors so that she can hear the lock turning and know that she has privacy. Um, Blinds, curtains, um, you know, mood lighting, anything you'd need for a great sex session, you need for birth because it's the same hormones um you know yeah just creating the nice environment no beeps i think it's so rude um you know people think oh well we've got to do it because you could end up saving a life you know it's so rude for somebody to be trying to expel a human and you're there click click you know trying it do it when they're out of the room for crying out loud don't do it when they're in there about to expel a whole human it's a sacred moment this is not time for you to play with your toys these toys need to be checked when women are not in the room giving birth it's rude right so it's 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 absolutely it's sabotaging the birth it's you know even like a woman she may not want to know where she's at and then you've got somebody flicking around on switches, trying lights, trying gases, in case your baby needs saving, we need to save the life. It's way more important than your hormone levels. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's rude. So we've got to think about the environment if we're gonna say, it's say somebody has no choice but to give birth in the, in the labor ward. Got to think about it being private. You've got to think about who's coming in and out and why. You know, you've got some midwives who take their job seriously. They're autonomous and responsible. Who guards that door? I've seen them. There's NHS midwives like they'll, they'll crack the door. There'll be you know a team outside consultant and these minions, and th- then you'll then they'll go yeah, okay I'll come out and then they'll go out and talk. Yeah. You know they'll whisper yeah you know they'll 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 prioritize the person's partner front and center like 
they'll they'll only approach if they need to the person support people their partners and do lures mm. because everyone needs an advocate in the nhs now it's clear yeah you get some people say oh my team are brilliant it's like a lottery everyone needs to take an advocate doula a doula who knows how to advocate mm. so have them there let them help maintain the space and you midwife just in the corner in case you're needed Scribble your notes if you have to for the protection of the hospital if you need to, but don't in invade the birth space. That way, I think a lot of people could give birth beautifully in the labour wards. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if that's how all of them were trained and that's how everybody mm. everybody behaved? It would be amazing. Can you, you know, as I suppose as a birth partner, one of the jobs is to advocate for that. I mean, I think sometimes as well when you're in a, hospital it feels like it's not your space doesn't it so it's harder to say can you knock if we come in but I think it's asking too much to be teaching partners to be good girls and good boys you know from the time they're here and then asking them to square up to the control because everyone wants to believe that the staff in the hospital everything they're suggesting is for the good of the parent or baby and it's totally not it's for the good of the hospital and their stats and their negligence payments so so you need you need um a partner who's a rebel and most aren't rebels don't do well especially in countries like the uk etc We like to police people, don't we? So nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we police each other, you know. But that's why, we and that's why you said like you need a you perhaps if you can need a a doula, a third third party, someone that's not actually emotionally tied to you. That and I absolutely hear you. You're very good. If you can, yeah. I'm a bit more of a cow. You have to have it. Sell stuff. Do a whip around your family and friends. Yeah yeah before you before you conceive <laughs> make sure you've got your Amber. doula budget i'd love to say i am but we've killed off ims yeah. in the uk they they're available i need to be specific they are available and essential for antenatal and postnatal care and speak with them see what can be arranged for birth care whilst we're sorting out the insurance situation for IMs. They are magnificent. And I'm no longer an IM. Yeah. I'm speaking on behalf of IMs. They are magnificent. And just you to say IM is independent midwife. Just so yeah, midwife, yeah. Um we've got continuity we've got continuity teams too in the NHS, but wow. some of them are expected to have caseloads of 70. Um so you know how long we're gonna have those and some of them are already being dismantled. So, you know, I'm just saying um, for doulas or IMs, however you're going to work with them, plan in advance. Do not buy the buggy, you know, the car system or whatever. Just buy the the car seat for now. Carry your baby in a sling. Do not buy a cot. What you need is to get through your birthing in great condition that's what you it's need. so we put so much emphasis on other things in life that we want to go well and we want to have yeah. a good experience from and we just yeah. neglect birth so much and you know it, it really needs to be seen as a priority because it is it it's a priority your whole life like how you do your yeah. birth it's so important sell your tv sell your tv yeah sell your car yeah <laughs> you can walk 
I'm, I'm serious. This is that serious. You must have your doula or your IM who advocates because not all of an IM is born advocate. We're, we're, we're a pain in the ass. We, we are. There's a know, reason they're I, not in the system anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, IMs are just amazing if you, if you need someone to look after you. Um, doulas, not all doulas are advocates. Not all of them want to be. So just check. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've talked, I think, slightly about it already, or we touched on touched on it. But I wanted to ask you about um, so first time mothers, birthing people, parents. Yeah, you know, I think we all hear a lot of kind of horrible birth stories, and a lot of the time it's from first time uh, yeah. birthers. So how yeah. can we get them? that group of people to understand just how important physiological birth is, because I think you, and first time, you know, doing it first time, you don't know what to expect. It's all new. No. It's, it's, you know, you have no idea what, what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's really quite hard sometimes to have that trust in yourself. And I see it and I get it. How what can we yeah. do? How can we, how can we make them then see how important it is? I just. You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing it. I promise <laughs> you. Um, all of us who share, um, share stories, share evidence, all of us are doing it. It's just a really slow, painful process. Um, and, but we can't do any more. I, I personally don't think we can't do any more than we're doing at the moment. I mean, we're being so graphic. We're, um, we're creating reels, IGTV, we're sharing on Facebook, Twitter, evidence, we're sharing the evidence showing that first time birthers yeah. are getting sabotaged at a higher rate and why. Um, you know, I, I would love to say, oh, if we just talk more to maternity services, but they know all of this. I, I, we don't need to teach them, you know. So, you know, people sometimes say, oh, can't, you know, maybe you should have more. I don't know, more discussions and planning with the team. They all know what they're doing. You know, they all know that if they tell a first-time birther, you know, your baby's too big and everyone's going to die, it's going to have more purchase with a first-time birther than someone who's given birth before. They're using their vulnerability that, and, and they're not knowing yeah. the unknown to manipulate them. So the, so the work needs to be done and is being done with informing I, I I think we're all going hell for never at it. I think we're doing very well. You're fighting against such a big system that it's yeah. It sometimes feels yeah overwhelming, doesn't it? But I mean, That's I always say, and obviously the you know one of the answers is to just educate yourself as much about everything when it comes to birth as a first time uh, parent. You know, going into it is to really know your stuff and obviously doing a hypnobirthing course or anything like that is um the first step definitely but reading and and learning is just going to give you so much so much yeah. knowledge so that you can go and you can feel more confident asking yeah. questions and, and things like but, that but can i also claire I, I just need to reiterate i just need to reiterate is that you can do all of those things but if you're not choosing, you, you have to do your best to choose an, an, a setting to, well, everyone starts their birth at home anyway, if it's spontaneous. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to facilitate spontaneous birth. That's the first thing. 
you've got to choose a home like setting because remember it's the hormones of love making creating your baby that gets the baby out and that doesn't work in a lab yeah it's got to be home like settings so it's your choosing so if you know all of these things but then you don't affect a choice and assist you to maintain your choosing with an advocate then everything that you've learned yeah. you know with respect when you're giving birth you're busy so so you're not going to be in that space to protect yourself etc if your partner and i'm not blaming them but if they do all the learning and then the moment they're in front of authority yeah. they cave then you're unprotected so you know it so you can do all the learning but you have to follow through honor what you've learned um put things in place sacrificially so you know forget that holiday don't do that renovation literally put everything behind you know even if it's like don't create a nursery do not spend money creating a nursery that you could spend on your advocates and making choices with regard to where you're going to give birth by the way on my ig um there's a few scrolls back i might repeat it i just tell you about your rights to ask for well your right to have a home if you ask for it you state that you're having one and your rights to having a birth center birth but people need to understand you have a right to it nobody can even if the birth center says oh i'd rather not have you in here because your bmi is 35.1 um, you can just when I'm still giving birth at your birth center. So it's so people need to know those rights. So it, it's a combination of things. It, yes, get having the information, but it's then what are we going to do about it? Just to um, to touch on that weirdly. So one of my really good friends, she's having a third baby. She had a uh, unplanned uh, emergency cesarean with her first. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a successful V back with her second, which is amazing. Yay! I know, incredible. Um, and. So this time, obviously, she's um, wanting to give birth vaginally again. Mm. Um, and she's, at the moment, pretty keen on home, but was sort of talking to her midwife about birth centre. And the, the birth centre said no, because you've um, because of your history, even though she's had a successful VBAC. Um, yeah. And it was really funny because they sent her a, a picture of a room on their um, labour ward saying, but this room is really nice and it has a birth pool and all of this. You can have this room. And she's like... What are the chances that when I go into labour, that room's going to be that particular room? Yeah, exactly. Room. So we we laughed a bit about that, but that's interesting that she could still say, "Well, it's my choice. I'm giving birth." Thank you for your advice. I'll be giving birth at your birth centre. A lot of people don't realise that, and actually, I didn't realise that you could do that. So that's amazing. Um, I'm actually. I'll share those posts again later. I'll, I'll share them again. Thank you. Yeah, I'll um I'll share them as well. Okay, so in terms of intervention, and I guess we have touched on this already slightly. I mean, I've got my list of questions, but I think we've sort of touched on most of them anyway. What? So, yeah, maybe we have spoken about this, but what? Why is there so much unnecessary intervention? The way the way it's set up, litigation, etc. Um, you get off lighter if you're shown to be doing stuff. So seeing as, you know, from their point of view, all birth is dangerous. What they've not realized, well, they have realized it, but they don't want to do anything about it, is that it's a lot of what is being done that cascades that they're fighting at the moment. So you've got the woman with a three litre bud loss, you know, in high dependency or in ICU. Why did that happen? Oh, she had a sweep that cascaded. Yeah, but we don't want to admit all of that. 
So, so there's a situation then where, you know, if litigation occurs, they've got to have been seen to have done everything to have all bases covered. It's box ticking, isn't it? Yeah. And then the negligence payments will be lessened and, you know, um, so you've got lawyers, all the units have their lawyers. Then you've got to consider the, the schemes that they have to make payments out of. You've got to consider that the payments run at about a billion pounds a year, half, and that's half of all negligence payments made by the unit is maternity care. Yeah. So wow. all the other disciplines, sorry, yeah. of the unit of the hospital put together. Yeah. Put together. Yeah. It's 50%, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. so, so there's wow. a lot of fear and running wow. around and no one wants to get off of this intervention conveyor belt because you know, if, if if some when babies die, and I say when because babies don't all, or not all babies make it. Yeah, there's a there's a stillbirth rate, and they count them from 24 weeks in this country, and it's it's way higher from week 24 to 37 than it is 37 weeks onwards. Right, so, but they all the focus is on 37 weeks onwards because. You know, those that don't really think about the well, long-term well-being will say, well, if we stop them being pregnant now, you know, then we save ourselves the inevitable stillbirths that occur every week from 37 weeks on. So they're gradually pulling it back, you know, not 42 weeks, 41 mm-hmm. weeks, or not 41 weeks, 40 weeks, or not 40 weeks, 39 weeks. Eventually we find ourselves, you know, at, you know, yeah. doing inductions at 37 weeks. There's evidence to show that the preterm um, yeah. birth, preterm complications or pathology happens for 37 and 38 weekers, early term it's called, and they're still not not as strong and not as well developed and with continuing health as someone born at, born at 39 or 40 weeks and they're not as great as someone born at 41 or 42 weeks since we've shown evidence, but they just want to stop being, will you just stop being pregnant? Term starts at 37 weeks. They'll find every reason to end your pregnancy from that week onwards. Yeah. I suppose as well, being cynical, but it's then a bit like you're done then, aren't you? Like you're off their radar tip. But it's not cynical. You're no longer an obstetric case. Once a baby's born, the baby's the problem of the neonatologist in paediatrics. So we're talking about hospitals here. Yeah. I know it's such a yeah such a minefield (laughs) um cool I think I've asked you everything that was on my list is there anything that you else that you want to say on this topic that you think is really important that people know I I think we've covered everything I feel I mean I'm sure as soon as we stop the podcast oh yes I should have said (laughs) um but I'm sure you'll be somewhere saying it so it's okay people can just follow you and then they'll find it (laughs) <laughs> make a meme or something but um yeah just, just to remind everyone that childbirth is a normal event that's occurred for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years without all the bells and whistles we have today um even even outside of a pool without a water birth you know yeah. so there's birth occurs when i what i always say is like to have a baby, all you need is boobs and a bed. 
Yeah, that's literally all you need. And then, you know, hopefully some food would be nice, some water would be nice. Yeah. But you don't need a bed to even give birth yeah. on. That's to climb into with your newborn so you can have a good rest. And then the food for your baby is on your chest. So it, it really is simple. Like all of the things that, you know, at the moment we have a lot of people requiring assistance with conception. Um, they, I've got the most wonderful friend that, you know, I was uh, her midwife and she um, she is now helping to heal fertility with homeopathy because you know people are going to great lengths um and expense to heal it and actually you know it's kind of a bit of an epidemic at the moment people requiring assistance to conceive so you know it's just i think we all need to really get back to basics and i think we're working too hard too long in stressful conditions i think the way we live needs addressing it's, it, it, there's a big picture that's forming about our challenges when it comes to conceiving and giving birth. And I think I think the answers are quite simple. And maybe if you, you know, our society needs to go back to basics in in many ways. And a lot of this apparent pathology will disappear. Yeah. What uh, What's funny is that a little while ago I was talking to my nan, who's uh, like mid eighties, and. Um, I was, she was asking me about hypnobirthing and things like that. And I was telling her about teaching people. And she said, um, oh, we never had any of that in our day. And I thought, that's because in your day, you didn't yeah. need it. It was all that's right. believed. That's right. right. It's absolutely needed now. It's, it's needed absolutely now. needed now. Yeah. And there's um, another um, excellent birthkeeper who's creating a course about mindset so she's so I, I cannot wait for that to be out because what we do in hypnobirthing is amazing you know i i, I were you kg hypnobirthing yeah. as well yeah, yeah i could I, I could tell because um you're you're excellent what you put out on oh, your id is, you. is spot on. um so so we're doing a really amazing job but the the attrition in maternity care is getting so high that you know this this um carmen the birth company birth coach company she's realizing that, that there's a still a gap is forming mm -hmm. because maternity services are going even harder with their interventions and yeah. earlier so um she's creating a product for that which i i cannot wait for people to have access to it because the mindset we need to do a full 180 with yeah. mindset as a society but it starts with the individual parents yeah. slowly yeah You've got to do it yeah gradual but hopefully one day <laughs> yeah. it's happening every day every day you know several times a day i get messages and i'm sure you do as well yeah. of people who who are thanking us yeah. for the price oh absolutely yeah definitely so you know we are making an impact yeah slowly but we're getting there yeah Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It has been so interesting to talk to you. I've loved it. Thank you. And I know so many people are going to love it. <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity thank to you. talk again. The pleasure. No, it's lovely. Who, you know, who gets it. And I'm just really glad that you're out there serving parents. It's brilliant. Oh, thank you. No, yeah, it's, it's needed, isn't it? So, um, and also it's one of those things, you're the same. I could talk about it all day long. So <laughs> it's, oh, <yeah. laughs> it's, it's amazing to be able to talk about it. You know, yeah, we've got to keep it well within an hour, which is I quite know, it was good. <laughs>
We've been very good. Well, no, thank you so much, Kemi. And what I'll do is I'll leave all of your details in the description for the podcast so people can go and find you. And I would recommend wholly that people follow you. I share a lot of your stuff anyway on my Instagram. Oh, thank you. Well, they don't need to follow me then if you're sharing it. Oh, no, but follow you as well. (laughs) Just because, you know, I definitely would. But no, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So thank you everybody for listening and a big, big thank you to Kemi for taking the time to come and talk to me. It was such a joy to talk to her. We really did have what I think is such a good chat and I really hope that you found it useful and you found it informative and you enjoyed listening to it. I will leave Kemi's details in the info box below so that you can go and check out her Instagram. I really would. She posts such important content that we need to be looking at. We need to be reading it. So I'll leave her details below. I will be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I will say goodbye.